Thank you, Justin, for sharing that. Uh, it's amazing what God does and how he shows up and takes such great care of us. It's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, God does what he promises, and especially when it comes to finances. Beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing those stories. I remember those stories. I mean, I remember the tires, especially. Cindy came on Wednesday night, I think. Like, you guys have got to hear the story. This is insane. And uh, it, was, it was just one, one thing after another. And God just takes really good care of us. And it's a wonderful thing when we're taking care of Him, giving Him what He asks for. He, uh, he gives back and makes it so much easier to live uh, on what, what He does do for us. I remember Dad telling me a story um, when he was a kid about uh, uh, going to church. And the one reason he wanted to go to church was so that he could he, he sit in the balcony. And the one reason he wanted to go to church was so he could sit on the front row and kick his new, his brand new Tony Llamas, Tony Llamas, up on the up on the chair, um, so that everybody could see him. So if everybody would please, for just a few seconds, please put your 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 fancy shoes, your silly shoes, up on the back of this chair, whether they're fancy or not, or whether they're silly or not, um, just so everybody can see. I appreciate that. That's great. Appreciate you participating in that and um, having some fun with us. I think the food's starting to smell really amazing. Actually, it's always smelled really amazing, but um, definitely a, a good thing. Um, after after service this morning, we'll have a, a great meal. The not so inconsequential is the the theme we're in or the uh, series we're in this morning, and uh, the not so inconsequential are the uh, the minor prophets. We don't hear a lot about them. We don't talk about them a lot, um, but we are talking about them now. It's been an amazing journey so far. We're only four in. We're on Obadiah. So let's say the books of the Bible, from starting from Hosea, just the minor prophets. Okay, you same with me. You ready? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. One more time. Hosea. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Make a song, make a tune, say it in a poem, say it in a rhyme, link a couple of the words together. Um, With Colton, we used matchbox cars. And we laid out the Hot Wheels cars, the matchbox cars, and all different sorts of cars all across the center table or in, in the living room. And each car was named a particular book of the Bible. And that's the way he was able to learn them. So do whatever you got to do. Um, but uh, books of the Bible, it's fun to know them. It's fun to know where they're at. Do you guys remember the A-Team? Anybody watch TV back in the... I don't even remember them that well. Because um, I didn't watch TV back in those days. But I've heard about them, right? What was the A-Team all about? Anybody? Anyone? Were helping people. Helping people, okay. So they were helping people. Were, were they themselves people who were uh, at the top of the echelon, uh, you know, well-off, well-to-do, uh, law-abiding citizens? <laughs> Military criminals, right? Who probably had to break out of whatever facility or break out of whatever problem that they were in to go and help someone else, right? Remember the, the story of Robin Hood, Right? He robbed the rich to pay to, so that the, you know, he could help the others, right? This, this justice that oftentimes and slightly illegally at times comes. 
even the recent shows. You've seen, you've seen the blacklist. Anybody seen the blacklist? Yeah, some of you raise your hand sheepishly. This show, Raymond Reddington, is one of the FBI's on one of the, on the FBI's most wanted list, right? And he is so bad that he's actually raised up around himself a, a, a crime ring that is absolutely astronomical. And so one small group of the FBI is actually working directly with Raymond Reddington to bring down other people or other individuals on that black list, other people who are you know, the most wanted. Once again, resources being used um, in slightly uh, out-of-the-box ways to, to bring justice. We see it in NCIS. We see it in The Mentalist. We see it even in uh, CSI. Uh, all these recent shows that have the same type of feel. Justice is being served, but oftentimes it means just slightly outside the box. Why do we go back for more? We know that MacGyver and Jack are going to get themselves out of the horrible predicament that they have got themselves into. And usually by a paperclip or an eraser or something silly is going to get them out of. And I know some of you hate the new MacGyver because the old MacGyver was nothing like that. Deal with it. <laughs> the, the bottom line is the story is still there. Gibbs and his team always end up and bring the bad guy to justice. They do it in off-the-wall bizarre ways, but they get it done, right? It, it happens. Today we find a book all on one page in most Bibles. 21 verses in just one chapter, and many times it's misunderstood. This book is one of those books that I want you to remember as justice being served, and maybe not necessarily in ways that you thought it was going to happen. I think the reason we like to watch those fictitious episodes over and over again and we come back and, and it's basically the same story is because in real life, oftentimes justice isn't served. Oftentimes the down and out end up further down and further out. The underdogs usually end up farther under. The young knight in shining armor rarely gets the fair maiden. Today I want you to get one of two things, maybe both, out of this message I want you to be challenged, one, with the life that God has given you, what you have, and how you use it. And second, maybe you find injustices in your own life. You look in the mirror, you look in the rearview mirror, and you see oppression after oppression after oppression, and you feel like God has not necessarily shown up, and it's been difficult, and there's been injustices in your life all the way through. I want you to understand that God wants to rescue you. I hope you find hope in this message. This book isn't 21 verses. They weren't written to those who find themselves being, being kicked while they're down. This, the underdogs who just can't seem to get their feet under them. Those who experience injustice from time to time. This book was written for us. For those of us who feel that way. We talked last week about social injustice and, and how God thinks that those social injustices matter. Obadiah is a place where you'll find comfort if you feel like you're oppressed. So let's go find it. I know it'll take us a while.
in 15, 20 minutes from now, we'll find Obadiah. But let's try it. Come on, everybody. Let's go find it. Obadiah, where is it? 791. 791. Thank you. That helps for everybody who has a Bible just like Janice. It's in page 791. Obadiah is a very small book. Let's go see if we can find it. What you got? What's the page number? 1074. 1074. Anybody else? 733. 733. All right. So get somewhere in between the 650s and the 1000s. You'll be close. All right. I want us to go to Obadiah. And uh, I want us to read. Uh, uh, let's, just, let's just start off with uh, the first, first nine verses or so. Let's look at it. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, Get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down the size, um, to size among the nations, and you will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here? You ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nests among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. Verse 5. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor, but your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. Verse 7. All your allies will turn against you. They will help you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to destroy and deceive you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you and you won't even know about it. At that time, not even a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom, I will destroy everyone who has understanding. In the mightiest, the mightiest warriors of Tema, 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 I think I'll say, I'll say it Tema today will be terrified, and everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. Hmm. Nine verses set the tone. When I read these nine verses, I actually have more questions than answers. What in the world are we talking about? All I can tell is God is really mad at somebody. Uh, maybe, maybe Edom, maybe in your translation it was Esau, and, and that's, they were about to get it. Right? This, this person, this, this country, this land, this people was about, they're pretty much in trouble. Anytime I get to the place in the Bible where God is really mad and he's about to deal out some retribution, I, I stop and I take note. Not because I enjoy history, but because I want to know who they are and what they did. This person or people did something that God is really mad, out, mad at, and I don't want to be on that page. I don't want to be that, that people that God's mad at. If it made God mad, made God angry then, it probably makes God angry today. Same God, right? The way God dealt with people then is the way God deals with people now. The critics of the Bible love Obadiah. They think it's proof that God isn't a loving God. The critics say that all you Christians out there are just complete idiots for giving God any time, and especially on a beautiful weekend like today. This book is full of slaughter, anger, retribution, and you call him a loving God? The critics say it's a bad Bible because of it. I want to share with you the backstory so that these words come across as some of the most thoughtful 
caring words you've ever heard. But we need to do some backstory. So go with me back. Back to the beginning. Back to Genesis chapter 25. Go with me there. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. Right in the middle of the book of Genesis, we find Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? The, the patriarchs. And things happen here. It's amazing what happens. Look at this story. Genesis chapter 25. This is a little backstory so we can understand what, what we're listening to and what we're seeing in the book of Obadiah. Genesis chapter 25. Let's start in verse uh, 19. Drop down to verse 19 there. Genesis 25, starting at verse 19. The birth of Esau and Jacob. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Okay, you understand Abraham was real old. He, gave, he didn't give birth. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. And there was laughter. Isaac's name means laughter, right? So Isaac was born. When, when Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, an Armenian. And and from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban of Aramean. Aramean? Is that how you say that? Help me out. Anybody? Sure? You're just saying sure? Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. How did she know? Verse 22. But the two children struggled within, with each other in her womb. It wasn't just one of those, you know, like, you remember, guys, when your wife was really, really pregnant? And baby would want to roll over inside, and you would see an a, a intrusion, almost like, I could do it inside my shirt, almost like, you know, just like this inside, right? Do you remember seeing that? I think this was a little bit different. There was, like, some war going on. Inside her, inside her womb. The two twins struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to the Lord and asked about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. The Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve the younger. What? That said, the older son will serve the younger. That's different. That's not normal. And when the time gave to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she indeed had twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with a thick hair like a fur coat. He was a woolly booger. He came right out and he was red and he was covered in, in hair. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's foot. They named him Esau. What's Esau mean? Read your footnote. What's it mean? What's Esau mean? Harry, Harry, red. Okay, that's what he was. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. What's Jacob mean? What? Grasped his heel. The, the, this concept of grasping the heel was, was what in the Jewish tradition? To be deceived. If you grab someone's heel, you've deceived them, right? I think that's where they get it. 
So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. I don't know how he got from 40 to 60, but that's the way it happened. It was a long pregnancy. <laughs> Didn't we just read that he was 40 and now he's 60? It must, there must have been some time in there we missed. Huh. Poor Rebecca, pregnant for 20 years. Whew. Wow, that'd be tough. Verse 27, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and he was outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferred to stay home. He was mama's boy, right? Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game. Esau brought home, Esau, that Esau had brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was um, cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Evidently, Esau wasn't that good of a hunter. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Do you think Esau knew about this uh, little scenario way before this ever happened? Do you think he knew that, the, do you think Rebecca, do you think Jacob had ever accidentally slipped and told Esau that my mom heard from God that, you know, you're going to actually, being the older brother, you're actually going to serve me? Wouldn't you think that Esau's light bulb would have gone on when Jacob asked for this. Look, dude, I'm dying. Verse 32. I'm dying of starvation here. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn son to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. The story goes on, right? Isaac deceives him. Isaac, uh, or uh, Jacob rather, Esau rather. No, Jacob steals Esau's blessing too, right? Later on in the story, he comes in there and, and Rebecca uh, goes and gets a goat and makes, makes Isaac some, some food. And he, he covers, she covers Jacob's arm and hand, puts a little on the back of his head from the goat so that when Isaac asks for Esau, what he thought was Esau to come closer, he smelled not only Esau's clothes because Rebecca had dressed Jacob in Esau's clothes. So he totally deceived him again and got the blessing. Look down verse 20, or chapter 27. Uh, skip down to verse... Uh, let's see. You can read this story. It's an awesome story. Verse 28 is where, um, where Jacob finally says, you know what, this is what's, this is what's going to happen. It's not necessarily a blessing, but this is what's happening. It's almost a curse. Verse 28, he's talking to Esau. From the dew of heaven, the richest of earth, or the riches of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain. Sorry, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong verse. This is the blessing that, that he gave to Jacob accidentally. Skip farther down. Verse 30, it's farther down. Uh, there it is, 39. So, so... Isaac tells Esau. Here's what he says. Finally, his father, verse 39, you with me? Sorry, I skipped, I, I messed up there. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Esau, Edom, was pushed away. He was given this almost a curse 
Esau and Edom split up. Jacob goes his separate way. They become great nations. They become nations on their own. What happens to Jacob? What happens, happens to Jacob's nation? Help me with the story. Do you remember what takes place? What, what does Jacob have? He has 12 sons, right? What are those 12 sons? Those are the 12 tribes of Israel, right? What happens to Jacob? He has all those 12 sons. They sell Joseph the favorite into Egypt, right? Then comes a famine. The whole group of them has to move into Egypt. They go into slavery with the Egyptians. They prosper greatly. They become a great nation, but they're in slavery, right? That's 600 years later. Jacob's Israelites are on their way out of Israel under the leadership of who? Moses. Moses leads Jacob's Israelites out of Egypt. And guess what nation they have to travel through to get to the promised land? It starts with an E and ends with dumb. Esau's Edomites, the red people, live in the rocks and live by the sword, just like his father Isaac had promised 600 years earlier. And here they are, traipsing right towards their land. A very wise Moses sends a message to the Edomites. Follow me to Numbers. You're in Genesis now. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Four books over. Numbers chapter 20. Go with me there. Numbers chapter 20. Beat me there. Are you there? Good job. Numbers chapter 20. Down in verse, uh, let's see, the text messages start in verse 14. While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom with this message. Mo sends with love and hits the, bu- hits the send button. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardships you, we have been through. Our ancestors went down into Egypt and we lived there a long time. And we, had, we and our, our ancestors were brutally mistreated. Does anybody text you like this? Like this big, long text? But when, when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent his angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on your border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and your vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road. And that's important. Remember the king's road. And never leave it until we have passed through your territory. Love, Moses. Send. What's the send chime? <laughs> That's what my computer does. It's like an airplane taking off. What's the reply? Verse 18. The king of Edom said, text back, stay out of my land. I will meet you with an army. Right? Oh, well, maybe that first text was a little bit too long and maybe it got broken up. You know, Wi-Fi back then was really not that great. So let's try this again. Verse 19. The Israelites answered, we will stay on the main road. If your livestock drink our water, we will pay for it. If, your li- if our livestock drink your water, just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. Love, Moses. Send. Verse 20, the text came back. Nope. Stay out. We're on our way to attack. He mobilized an army and marched against them. Edom's still holding a grudge a bit, Right? Still, still sort of some, some animosity there. 
almost 1,200 years later, this country, this people, this, this nation still is holding on to what took place between Jacob and Esau. Israel had to go along around the long way. I'm sorry. Uh, now we're fast forwarding another 600 years. That was just 600 years before Moses had to go through Edom to get to promised land. Now fast forward another 600 years and now Obadiah is talking to the Edomites. God's very angry with them. Ezekiel 25 and verse 12. I think this was on the screen. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned greatly by avenging themselves against the people of Judah. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, I will raise my fist of judgment against Edom. I will wipe out its people, the animals, with the sword. I will make a wasteland of everything from, what, how did I say it before? Tama? Tama to, to Dedan. I will accomplish this by the hand of my people Israel. They will carry out my vengeance with anger. And Edom will know that this vengeance is from me. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. God was angry with Edom because they had hurt his children. Obadiah points out several things that the Edomites had problems with. Let's look at them. Four things. The problems with the Edomites. Number one, Edom's response to their position was pride. Look at verse 2. Go back to Obadiah. Oh man, I should have told you to hold that spot in Obadiah. It's going to take forever to find it again. Go back to Obadiah. We're going to spend just a few minutes looking at these four things in, in, in Obadiah. Verse 2 through 4. Look at what it says. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in the rock. Petra. Right? Petra. The rock. Fortress. And make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach you? Or reach us way up here, we, we, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as, as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. Who, who were these people? Why did they take such pride in their position? What made them so prideful? What was it about their position which they thought they were so great? One, they had some extremely wise people. They had extremely good wealth. They had phenomenal wealth. And they lived in a place that was difficult to live. You ever heard of survivors? Like just people that just, just survive and they, you plant a tree and you, you baby it and you be nice to it and you give it the best soil and you give it everything it could ever want. Does it grow up to be a strong, mighty tree that can with, withhold and withstand great amounts of extreme weather? No. It's the one that has to grow out there with a little tiny bit of soil, a little tiny bit of sunshine, a little tiny bit of light, a little tiny bit of water. That's the plant that is going to survive. That's the tree that's going to survive. These people survived insurmountable odds and ended up a great nation. But God was unhappy with them because of their position and because of what their pride came from. Still today, number one, one of the number one tourist destinations in Jordan, Petra. It's intense. Look at these pictures. One of them's right there. But keep going. What's the? You got the next slide. One more. There's some pictures. Okay, so this is right along the King's Highway, right along the highway that runs north or north and south across um, across the land of the Promised Land, basically. And right along this King's Highway is this cavern, this big cleft in the rock. And literally, this was the entrance to one of their great cities of Edom. It's a tourist trap. You could walk through this. It's almost a mile long um, that goes through to one of the cities of Edom. 
And um, this is one of the places where you can start walking down. Uh, Edom was a great place because in order to attack Edom, you had to go through here. What kind of an army survives when you send two or three at a time? You can't do it. And so this is, that's why Edom was such a great place. Go to the next slide for me. So here's, here's the, uh, another picture of the, the passageway to get to the, to, to the city. This is the one that you've seen on every slide, but this is one of the, the treasuries. Go ahead into the next slide. This is their, one of the treasuries actually built right in to the rock. They stored all their treasures in here. And Edom was a very powerful place because this is where they were located. They built their, their houses literally right in the rocks. And they were um, amazing people, very wise people. Um, they had great wisdom. And um, as, as you read that verse two, and 2 through 4 of Obadiah, you can kind of see this is why these people were so prideful. Edomites were the richest, wisest among all the nations. They had amazing alliances. That king's highway that just outside that, that cavern that we just saw. When people would pass, they were robbed or taxed, depending on who, whoever, whoever was in charge at the moment. Because they could just come out, attack, and run right back in and have complete safety. Some nations paid up front. They paid Edom up front and said, let us have safe passage. We're coming your way. We need to trade with the people of the north. Will you allow us to pass through? And so they, would, they, were, they had great wealth. These people were some of the wisest, most resist, resilient people of the day. Sound familiar? We find ourselves in America in a very similar situation. One of the richest, one of the most powerful, militarily unstoppable in a lot of ways we think we are, right? But even as individuals, the 401ks, the retirement funds being relied on as if no one can touch them. Whether you have great wealth or whether you have nothing, we all have a tendency to make life all about me. I've worked hard for what I have. I deserve it. Verse 3 of Obadiah says, You have been deceived by your own pride. Pride will always make you believe something about yourself that's not true. Pride will always tell me I have, I have something to do with my life and my fortune. Entitlement in our young people is ridiculous right now. Where does it come from? Yeah. They learned it from somebody. Most likely they learned it from their parents. Pride tells us we've earned it. We're more than what we really are. Edom had some situations. Edom had some problems. And one of them was their, their pride in their position. Second one of Edom's problems was, was their response to need with apathy. Verse 10 and 11 of Obadiah. Look at it with me. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you were... You will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invasor, invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. They were brothers. They should have been backing each other up. They weren't. They stood aloof. They were apathetic. They showed indifference. Israel was attacked and Edom did nothing about it. This week we came across a verse in James, one of my hated, most hated verses in the Bible. 
James chapter 4 and verse 17 says it is sin. Someone knows the right thing to do, doesn't do it. I don't like this verse. If I see a need and don't do anything about it, that inaction becomes sin. Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't like that verse, but I don't like it. The way they responded to their position was with pride. Edom's response to need was apathy. Number three, Edom's response to the vulnerable was personal gain. Look at verse 12 through 14. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to different lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in the terrible time, their terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering calamity. You see this picture that God's painting? Someone came up and, and annihilated Israel. And rather than coming to their rescue, they came up once the army had left and taken all of Israel into exile. Edom came up and pillaged their towns and took their stuff. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape, right? Stood outside the cavern wall probably and waited till the Israelites came running by and went out and went ahead and just took their lives. And the ones that they didn't take their lives, the ones that survived, they captured. Look at what it says. You should have not captured the survivors and handed them over in their time of trouble. They captured the Israelites and sold them to their enemies as slaves. Hmm. Sounds like a good brother to me. They gained from others' hardship. Edom's response to the vulnerable was personal gain. And number four, Edom's response to injustice was boasting. That first part of verse 12 says they gloated. These 21 verses are there to help us understand what God's feelings are. This is a God. I want on my side when injustice and trouble happens. God's going to show up for those who are oppressed. So don't be an Edomite. I don't want to be caught on this page. What about you? You want to be caught on that page? I, I don't want to be caught on that page. I don't want to be caught in, in the, the bullseye, in the target, in the, in the scope of an almighty God who doesn't like what just happened to his kids. So number one, we need to respond to our position with humility. We're rich. We're boastful. We claim our rights way too often. There's a pride that's good. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of the way we serve. I'm proud, of, I'm proud of the life change that takes place here. I'm proud of the way God is using others, using us to love others. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of some of the things I've gotten accomplished, but with God's help. There's a pride that says I'm thankful and humbled to be a part of this. But anytime we puff ourselves up and look down on others, it's not good. That's what God's attacking here. There's a self-confidence and pride that's good, but... There's also pride that's awful. How do you tell them apart? Hear this. A wrong self-confidence is usually characterized by prayerlessness. Did you hear me? A wrong self-confidence is usually characterized by prayerlessness. When we feel like we can't get things accomplished without his help, we feel like we have to go to prayer, right? And vice versa. You know, you know why I don't pray very much? It's because I don't think I need God that much. 
Maybe I'm the only one in that boat too, but I doubt it. Why is it that I feel like I can go throughout my day with all the tasks and the meetings and, and, and prepara- preparation for sermons and classes and study without ever considering once that I need God to help me? Because we're a rich country with great education system with resources immeasurable, we need to be careful not to fall in the mindset like the Edomites did. Respond to our own position with humility. I'm only here because God allowed me to be here. That should be our mindset. Number two, respond to the needs, to needs with compassion. We're talking about more than just emotion here. The poor are oppressed, yes. Those in need don't, don't want us to feel their need, do they? Well, yeah, that helps. It helps for them to, to know that we feel with them, but it takes more than that. It takes action. They want their needs met. The injustice made right. It takes action. When people's needs become our focus, our needs will become his focus. Did you hear me? When people's needs become our focus, our needs will become his focus. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For what gives you the right to make such judgment? What do you, what do you have that God hasn't given you? If everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? To our position, we need to respond in humility. To the needs, we need to respond with compassion. Number three, respond to the vulnerable with generosity. You know, we can't solve world hunger. We can't solve all the world's problems. We can't solve all the injustices in the world. I think of the little boy that's walking down the beach... And he's picking up sand dollars that have been washed up onto the sandy seashore. And he's taking those sand dollars and he's tossing them back, or those, those starfish, and he's tossing them back out into the ocean. Well, why, why would you do such a thing? There's hundreds and thousands and millions of them. And what, what difference do you think you could really make? And the little boy picks up the next one and he tosses it out there and he says, it matters to that one. And he does it again and he picks it up and he tosses it back out in the ocean. It matters to that one. That's the way we need to think about injustices in the world. The poor need us. The poor are always going to be there. But you know what? God sends you some. And God wants you to do something about them. Yeah, we can conquer it as a church. And we can do great things as a, great, as a big group. But God wants you to individually be able to help those around us. We need to respond to the vulnerable with generosity. Matthew 25, 40 says, The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Respond to our position with humility. Respond to needs with compassion. Respond to the vulnerable with generosity. And last, respond to injustice with brokenness. There's a problem in the church today. We have heart for the poor. But feeling for the poor shouldn't become an excuse to not do something about it. Just because you feel with them, just because you're like, oh yeah, I can, I can see where they're really struggling. That doesn't fix the problem. We need to be broken ourselves and take action. Love is action. So I'm asking you to respond. Two things worth remembering. Did you learn anything from Obadiah today? I want you to learn these two things. An attitude of superiority can superiority can become deadly. 
It led, the led to the destruction of the Edomites. In his book, The Preaching Prophet, Gary writes, Like the Edomites, a secure position in a big company, a safe home in a quiet neighborhood, several months' expenses in a savings account, and lots of good friends can make life very enjoyable. These factors can easily seduce people to a false sense of well-being and pride like the Edomites. Those who have position of power over others need to be particularly careful about how they deal with those under them. Attitudes of superiority can become deadly. Teachers, parents, older siblings, you got a little brother or sister? Bosses, law enforcement, any place of authority. This is a warning in 21 verses to realize that a position of authority is not given to lord it over others, but a position to serve them. God's put you in a position to serve them, to help them. If we stand by and see the needs that you can help alleviate when you become a spectator, when you, when you could have jumped in to fix something, God says, I have an issue with that. Does your life show how successful you are? Or does your life show off how successful God is? Does your life show you to be successful? Or does your life show off a successful God? Like I said last week, we are blessed to bless others. And secondly, I want you to understand, if you learn nothing else from today, that dad never forgets who hurts his children. The last seven verses of Obadiah, we don't have time to cover them immensely this morning, but those last seven verses tells Israel God will send a redeemer and he will call them back. So many times hurts come. And you know, sometimes those hurts come from those who are supposed to be supporting us, supposed to be protecting us. We often feel, well, why does God let them get away with hurting us? God told Obadiah, write this down. Justice will come to those who hurt my kids. And Obadiah wrote it. You right here in this room are some of the most dangerous people who have ever lived. Not because you live in the 21st century or because, they, because you're Americans, but simply because of who your dad is. Why are you dangerous? Because dad never forgets. Who hurts his kids? But don't forget this status. Don't forget that being a child of an almighty God comes with responsibility. When he gives to you, he expects you to give to others. I love the song that we sang earlier. I think we're going to sing it again. The God of angels, uh, uh, the God of angel armies is always by my side. It's a great feeling to know that God is on our side, that God can and will come through for us. He has in so many ways. We're a rich people. And you know what? We can use what God's given us to help those in need. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you for giving these words to Obadiah to write on this page. God, thank you for the impact that this passage has on our lives. Thank you for allowing us to see how Obadiah really does apply to us and even us today in the 21st century, American people. 
We have a tendency to be like those Edomites. God help us to never become like them. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your protection. God, thank you for all that you do for us. Please help us to know today that you are on our side. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.